Hello, and welcome to Quills and Cloaks, a writing and fandom podcast. I'm Christy J. Whitney, and I will be your host and your professor. So unroll your parchment and pull up a chair, because class is in session. Welcome to Quills and Cloaks, Episode 3, where we're going to discuss the script and the production of the eighth story, 19 Years Later, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So I'm not here to talk about everything Cursed Child got wrong. There are plenty of articles and videos about that. Instead, I'm here to talk about everything it got right, and everything that has endeared it to me as a Harry Potter fan, a writer, a theater actor, and a director. Let me begin by stating what was on the back cover copy of the script when it originally came out in 2016. Based on a new original story by J.K. Rowling, John Tiffany, and Jack Thorne, a new play by Jack Thorne, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is the eighth story in the Harry Potter series and the first official Harry Potter story to be presented on stage. The play received its world premiere in London's West End on the 30th July, 2016. It was always difficult being Harry Potter, and it isn't much easier now that he's overlooked employee of the Ministry of Magic, a husband, and a father of three school-age children. While Harry grapples with a past that refuses to stay where it belongs, his youngest son Albus must struggle with the weight of a family legacy he never wanted. As past and present fuse ominously, both father and son learn the uncomfortable truth. Sometimes darkness comes from unexpected places. So to talk about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, we really need to look at it in two parts, and that's what I'm going to cover today, the script itself and then the theatrical production. So let's start with the script of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Now, as I'm recording this podcast, I am sitting here at my desk with a copy of the script in my hand. And on the front cover copy, or the front cover picture, as we've gotten very used to, that lovely sort of yellow color and the image of the boy in the bird's nest with the wings. If I look at the top of the book, I ordered the special rehearsal edition script. And of course, it does say Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, parts one and two. And then at the bottom, based on the original new story by, of course, Rowling Tiffany Thorne. And it says a new play by Jack Thorne. So immediately, as a theater person, even if I did not know anything else about Cursed Child or it coming out in publication, I would assume that this was a script version of a play. And as a theater person, that is very common for me. I have read hundreds and hundreds of scripts over my time as an actor and a director, and I'm very comfortable reading scripts, and I know how to sort of open up a script and, you know, look at it with a different type of imagination that you might use if you were reading a novel. However, I am also an author and I'm also a novelist, so I know that it really requires two different hats when you are coming out a story in script form and coming out a story in a novel form. And I do know that when this was released, there were a lot of angry fans about uh, the script version of Cursed Child. And there were Potterheads that were very vocal about it uh, when it came out. I do remember reading an article, I think it might have been in The Guardian, and they were discussing certain fans who were very upset 
about the script form, uh, so upset about the script form that they actually did not even complete reading. Now, I think probably most of these fans have gone back and read the script, at least I hope so, but a lot of them never got you know, past the first act. And in this particular article, it was sort of amusing to me because it stated with uh, a lot of fans who apparently did not take the direct warnings of J.K. Rowling seriously were raging, and they used the word raging, that the publication is just a script of the stage play and it's not a full novel. To her credit, and to everyone involved, they never tried to pretend it was otherwise. They were giving warnings. They were making sure that everyone knew this was not a new novel. It was the script of the play. And if you are in any way connected with theater, you know that the script is the skeleton part of a play. It is the backbone. It is the first and most critical foundation and element of a play, but it's only one level of a play. When you read a script, which is usually designed for the director, stage managers, production people, actors, those that are going to be creating a play, this is where they start. This is their foundation level. But I understand that a lot of fans who were hoping for and expecting a novel were extremely disappointed. And I totally get that disappointment. But for me, it sort of took me by surprise because I never thought that it was going to be a novel. Again, I saw those key words. I, I saw her warning. So immediately I knew I was going to be reading a script and I was totally okay with that being a drama person myself. Also on the cover, you know, it does clearly state that the work is a collaboration. It's not just her work. Uh, she worked together with a playwright, so someone who writes scripts for a living, and he's quite good at it, Jack Thorne, and also John Tiffany, who is a director, and the three of them collaborated, and it was actually the playwright, Jack Thorne, that wrote the script, and I think that's really fascinating because some people have argued that they did not think the characters sounded like the characters should sound. I felt a little differently about that, but I thought kudos to him. For doing such a, a good job, and of course he worked with JK, but doing such a good job of really bringing these characters to life on the page in this dialogue. Because as you know, scriptwriters have a different type of job. They don't get the benefit of writing paragraph after paragraph of description and telling you exactly what the character is not only doing, but what that character is thinking in their head. When you think about the Harry Potter novels, we always knew what Harry Potter was thinking in his mind. For a scriptwriter, you don't get the benefit of doing that unless you are writing a soliloquy where the actor is alone on stage expressing their thoughts. Most of the time, you get the characterization of these particular characters by how they interact with other people on the stage, what the dialogue is like. So I thought it was very well done, and a little bit later in the podcast, I will go over some of my favorite quotes from Cursed Child. But in this particular article, I believe there was a disappointed fan saying or, or comparing it to um, the, the stilted readings that they had to do of Shakespeare plays in school, and they were very disappointed that J.K. Rowling actually got on board with this. I can understand where that fan is coming from if she was expecting to read a novel. 
And unfortunately, a lot of people, most of their experience with reading a script or reading a play is sitting around an academic classroom with a very stilted performance. It's not even a performance, a very stilted reading of the script. If you're in high school, maybe your teacher made you volunteer to read a part and nobody put any emphasis or any kind of inflection into the dialogue. And it was. It was stilted, it felt disconnected, and it was quite frankly very boring. The way I do my plays in my high school classes is different because, again, I have a theater background. So when I approach a play, I approach that script as if I were a director and we had just cast the play. And of course, you do something called a first read-through or a first read, where you have the entire cast get together in one room with the director, the producer, the stage manager, the crew, and they read the play out loud as those characters. And this is the first time you get to hear people interact with each other, which of course is how the script is intended to be read because it's intended to be performed. Reading the script by yourself, you have to do all of that yourself. And some of us can do that and very used to it. And then some of us find that a little bit more difficult, especially if our experience with reading comes mostly from reading novels or short stories. So if you're in a classroom and you're being forced to read Shakespeare and you're not very good at reading out loud or you don't have a theater background or you, frankly you're just bored and don't want to put a lot of effort into it, then yes, reading a script would be very tedious and very boring. However, if you are an actor or you are a director or you're used to being in theater classes, reading a script out loud with a group of individuals is a completely different experience. So when I read that, Again, I can understand where that fan is coming from, but it was just a completely different experience for me having the benefit of having a theater background. So that's really what I wanted to talk about with this script and maybe why some people struggled to read and to connect with the characters in Cursed Child in the same way that they would connect with the characters in a novel because it is different and it does require that you use a different sort of approach and a different sort of imagination hat when you're doing it. Now, I read scripts all the time, as I mentioned before, so I understand how to read between the lines. I know what stage directions mean. And no, stage directions are never detailed like a novel because the playwright is leaving a lot up to the imagination of the director of a play and the creative process. For me, as I read, I was immediately creating the world and the setting and the characters in my head. I saw the play coming to life on stage rather than seeing it like a movie playing in my head. I saw set ideas, I saw props, I saw lighting. And later on, when I got to see it on stage on Broadway, which we'll talk about, it was an extremely thrilling and satisfying experience to compare what I'd imagined to what was there which is pretty much like we do when we read a good book and then we go watch a really good film version of the book. So if you're familiar with scripts, it's basically reading the dialogue of characters speaking. And yes, there is stage direction to break that up, but again, it's not like a description in a novel. It's literally direction for those who are bringing the script to life on stage. And stage directions are just a starting point. It doesn't mean that everything in the stage directions is necessarily going to happen on stage. 
And there's always going to be more action and more movement and more intricate details on stage when you put the actor up there creating that character and bringing that character to life. So it was a very easy read for me as a director because, as I said, I'm, I'm just very used to that. But understandably, on the other side of things, it could be more frustrating, especially if you were expecting to read that novel because the imagination process, as I've mentioned, does seem to work in a different type of way. And a lot of people have very solidified versions of these characters in their head, either based on the books or on the films. And this might have been a little bit different seeing some characters that they already feel that they know very well in their hearts and the mind. But I do think the dialogue was very consistent in tone and style of the characters, and we'll talk about that in a bit when I discuss my favorite quotes. So that is the script of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Now, I know that many of you have some particular issues with things that actually happened in the story, uh, plot lines, character issues, things that um, you felt were contrived. We will talk about that towards the end of the podcast, but I would like to switch gears now to talk about the production itself uh, as opposed to the script. But we do know that they work together hand in hand to produce a show, and there has been the argument that you cannot appreciate the script without having seen the live production. And while I do believe, obviously, that theater is meant to be performed, theater is meant to be seen and experienced and interacted with, that's the art of theater. So obviously, any live production is going to be what you want to experience rather than simply the script itself. But I do argue that you can find enjoyment from the script and you can have a unique experience reading a script of a story without having seen the production. But of course, I all say that to say, the absolute best experience you will have with Cursed Child is if you are one of those that has been fortunate enough to be able to see it on stage. And it's not the easiest thing to do, seeing a production of Cursed Child, because there are no traveling shows at this particular moment in time. So moving on, let's, let's talk about the production. Now we know it opened in the West End at the Palace Theater, and it is currently running there, or in, in a world, as we know, this is 2020, while I am recording this, so things have been put on, unfortunately, a bit of a halt, but we will just go ahead and say currently running as if everything is, is normal. So Palace Theater, currently running. I'm actually quite disappointed because I did have tickets to go see it at the Palace Theater and that has been put up in the air but my goal is to definitely get back over to London and to watch Cursed Child there. It did open on Broadway at the Lyric Theater in 2018 and that is the production that I got to see with the second year cast there. We'll talk about the cast in a moment. Uh, it is playing in, at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne, Australia, opened 2019 there, and also it opened in 2019 at the Curran Theatre, or Curran Theatre, I'm not quite sure on the correct, uh, the correct pronunciation, uh, in San Francisco in December of 2019. There are plans for it to be in Germany, also in Canada, and also in Japan, so there are more 
productions of Cursed Child expanding throughout the world. Still, though, without a traveling show, it does sometimes limit the number of people who are able to see the production itself. So I want to talk about the production, especially for those of you that have maybe not seen it, and then it's always interesting to hear from those of my listeners who have seen it. So the way that the production runs, they have an original cast that started the whole thing in, uh, in the West End, and they played for a, a limited amount of time, and then they actually came over to Broadway to sort of start or kickstart the first year there on Broadway. And then they brought in what they called the year two cast, which is this idea of replacing most of the leads or some of the lead roles. And typically these actors will be contracted to do the show for a year, sometimes for two years, and then they move on and someone else comes into the place. So depending on what production you are familiar with, they might be on a first year cast or a second year or third year but what I got to see was the second year cast, which meant a lot of the company were still original characters, but the main characters were not uh, the ones that had started the whole thing off. So hopefully that's not sounding too boring. But with the original main cast you in West End, you had Jamie Parker as Harry, Paul Thornley as Ron, uh, Norma was Hermione, Poppy was Jenny, Alex Price is Draco, Albus Severus was Sam Clement, uh, Scorpius Malfoy, Anthony Boyle. Those two were phenomenal. They were all phenomenal. I've watched many, many interviews with the original cast. And then the second cast, as I said, that I got to see was when uh, James Snyder took over as Harry Potter, Jenny Jules as Hermione, Matt Mueller as Ron, Diane Dav Davis as Jenny, uh, Nicholas Padani as Albus Potter, Jono Roberts as Draco, Bubba Weiler as Scorpius, and Nadia Brown as Rose Granger Weasley. Going into the production or going to see the production on Broadway, I had done a lot of background research. And being that I actually teach Harry Potter and the Cursed Child as part of my script study in my high school drama classes, I was really familiar with the dialogue, with the stories, and I would show video clips to my class of this year two cast uh, doing behind the stage or behind the scenes and backstage type of things. So by the time I got to Broadway, I felt as if I knew this second year cast. And I credit a lot of that. If you've ever looked at uh, the YouTube series by Broadway.com, they go through and they will highlight a lot of their shows that are running on Broadway. James Snyder, who plays Harry Potter currently, he was enlisted by Broadway.com to do sort of an eight-part series during the summer where he would highlight kind of silliness that went on backstage, interview and talk to the different characters, and that was so endearing to me because I felt like I knew this version of Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy and Ginny Weasley and Ron before I ever got to Broadway to see it. Also, a lot of these actors have phenomenal Instagrams, and Jono Roberts, who played Draco Malfoy in that second year cast, he had a hilarious hashtag, acting tips with Draco, that he would do on Instagram of just 
I don't know how to describe it other than just absolute brilliant silliness that he would do backstage. And having shown my students a lot of these background clips, having shown them the trailer, we extensively looked at all the pictures of the set. We listened to the phenomenal music score by Imogene Heap for Cursed Child, which if you have not listened to uh, the soundtrack for Cursed Child, I had been listening to it for for a long time uh, prior to seeing the show. So when I got to watch the performance and I would hear these familiar tunes with the moment going on on stage, it was just, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling. It was a very satisfying feeling. So I had done my research and I do this for any play that I'm ever going to go see or musical. I like to know everything about the musical. I like to be familiar with the cast. I like to kind of know who they are as people, how they interact with each other. And it just gave me such a connection to these actors and to these characters. And I had watched so many interviews, and um, I know that the first year cast had had done a Comic Con up in New York, and I'd, I'd watched interviews, I'd watched panels, and I had fallen in love with the first year cast, the ones that came over from the West End, and I thought they were absolutely the best uh, of their roles, especially Albus and Scorpius. I just absolutely adored those two actors. And then the second year cast came along and I absolutely adored them. And it it makes a difference to to go in and to watch these interviews and to hear these actors talk about their creative process and how they approach the role of Albus or how they approach the role of Harry. And I have gone as far as, as having said that James Snyder's version of Harry Potter is now officially my favorite uh, version of Harry Potter in both the books and the films. I, I absolutely adore his portrayal of Harry Potter, which of course comes from the original portrayal by Jamie Parker and how they were directed and how that they were instructed to kind of do their roles and then make it their own. And so anytime and at any place where you see Cursed Child all over the world, you are seeing the exact same performance and the exact same characters. But yet at the same time, those actors are able to put a little bit of their own personal selves into those roles. And it's, it's just really entertaining and really amazing to watch in the production. The way that it was staged as a, as a theater director, it was just my kind of show. There weren't really scene changes. The actors were the ones that helped move the props around. It was, the set was very representational. The lighting was phenomenal, but the pacing, I, that was the one thing that sort of blew me away. Because my, um, you know, I have friends and I have family members that are not big fans of straight plays. They prefer to see musicals and things. And when they found out it was two parts and that basically you had to see part one and part two to get the full story, thinking how in the world can I sit through that much theater? But the time goes by so quickly that when you get to the end of part one, it truly feels like the intermission time of a normal length play. And when we went to see it on Broadway, we opted to do the play, both parts on the same day on a Wednesday. So 
we got done with part one and then we went and had dinner and then we came back for part two. And I'm very glad that we, we did that because I felt it just kept me more in the mode of what was going on. Definitely the quickest show I've ever seen for something that lengthy. And I have seen many, many productions on Broadway over the years. And I do also say that Cursed Child has been my favorite theater experience on Broadway, period, hands down. It, it deserves the, the awards and the accolades that it has gotten. And it's, it's really unlike anything that I've seen before. What they do with the lighting and then how they choose to do their magic some of it is just really old school magic tricks and it makes it feel very tangible. The relationships between these characters, which you read in the script, to me sort of gives you the basis. But when you see those words transformed into a fully recognized character with motivations, with facial expressions, with this, this chemistry that's going on, on the stage, on top of this fantastic dialogue that was written for the play, it just takes everything to a new level. And while I'm talking about the production, and I could go on for days and days about it, but from my take, I want to look at this as a Slytherin. Because in a panel that I spoke on recently, people had complaints about Cursed Child and they would, they would tell their complaints to me, and then I got an opportunity to sort of expand upon that or maybe talk about that complaint from a different viewpoint. And a lot of it came from my experience watching the play as a Slytherin, because I think that was kind of different from maybe someone who's watched the play that is not in Slytherin House uh, because of the characters and what happens there. But some of the, some of the arguments that I've gotten... Uh, over over the years, one would be, um, well, Harry Potter's son would never have been sorted into Slytherin. And I believe I touched on this briefly when I did my episode on Slytherin. But if you go back and look at everything that I talked about in that episode and everything leading up to the fact that Harry was almost sorted into Slytherin himself, I think it makes perfect sense that Albus Severus went to Slytherin. And he's a representation of someone who was sorted there because of what's going on in his heart and his needs and his wants, as opposed to someone like Scorpius, who doesn't really seem to fit a lot of the Slytherin characteristics, but is sorted there, as we know, because of a Malfoy, much in the same way that Ron and some of the Weasleys were all sorted into Gryffindor. Now, I do believe Scorpius belongs in Slytherin, and I believe he has a lot of those characters and traits, but Albus and Scorpius represent, I think, two sides of Slytherin, and both of them are good kids. They're good kids. One of them goes on a sort of a dark journey that comes back to a new realization, but they're not bad wizards. They don't grow up to be bad wizards. So I really appreciated that as a Slytherin myself to be able to see characters who were in my house that were not associated with um being a bad wizard or being evil. I thought that that was just fantastic. And Scorpius and Albus had such an amazing 
friendship. And I appreciated that in the storyline. I don't think we see enough deep friendships between two male figures, just that it's just truly simply a deep friendship, that friendship that, to quote a Bible passage, a friend that is closer than a brother. And we don't see that a lot of times in literature. We see that with uh, with female characters that have that, that super close friend that just completes them and, and is closer to them than even a sister. But I don't think we see that on the same level uh, many times with male characters. So I appreciated that getting to see that it um and it truly is a friendship and it's something they completed each other in a way that both of them needed that if they hadn't had each other they would not have been able to survive Slytherin and I also really get to appreciate a new side of Draco uh, a side of him that has grown as a person and how his relationship with Harry has shifted and changed I think he's a phenomenal character in Cursed Child. I think another argument that I get a lot is people that have a problem with how angry Harry would get at Albus and yelling at him and um, just FYI spoilers here and there. Basically, the argument they have where Albus says, you know, I wish you weren't my father and then Harry turns to him and, and yells, you know, sometimes I wish you weren't my son. And he's having that true moment of honesty. And I've had people say, Harry would have never said that to his son. But I'm quick to remind them, fathers, mothers, teenage kids, it's a rocky time. And sometimes you say things you regret. And sometimes you say things that you don't mean. But in that moment, you are just struggling to have a connection and it's not working, and you feel like a failure. And with Harry being a Gryffindor, he is bold, daring. Also remember that Gryffindors can be reckless. They can be self-absorbed. Uh, they can act, excuse me, before they speak. And they they have such this, this moral code, and when they feel like they are failing, they don't deal with it well. And so in that moment, Harry Potter was feeling like a failure. He was a failure as a father because all he wanted to do was to be a good father for Albus because he did not have a father growing up. And it seems like everything he, he does, he just can't connect with Albus. Albus is, is just different. He's not Harry. He's not James. He's different. And Harry is, is frustrated because he seems to constantly be failing. They cannot meet in the middle. And Albus, on the other hand, he wants so desperately to be his own person. He doesn't feel like he can live up to the standard of Harry Potter's son. And this just creates this constant whirlpool of, of failure and, and bitterness and anger and just, just feeling like you can't get a footing. And so when they blow up at each other, to me as a mother and, and to me as just, you know, thinking about my own life as a teenager, I think it, it makes perfect sense that Harry would absolutely lose it with Albus and he would say something that he totally regrets. Uh, it always sort of took me by surprise that I, I had several people tell me that, that they didn't think Harry was written realistically because he never would have done that. 
But I think about the Harry that I know from the series who has a temper. He he definitely has a temper and he has said the most ridiculous, stupid things, even against people that he's later regretted. And even though he's grown up, it doesn't mean that we don't fall apart sometimes. And I can definitely see why Albus is so alone. I think that's a good word for him. And Scorpius is alone. And that's why they connect with each other. They both feel alone. So one of the strengths in this production and watching it happen on stage and seeing these characters interact with each other, I think the strength of the production is the relationships that these characters have with each other. Every one of them is struggling. Every one of them has a motivation of something that they want and why they feel like they can't get it. And, and that's all. All of the, the characters in, in the production. But particularly, I was very drawn to Albus and Scorpius, Harry and Draco's relationship, Harry and Albus's relationship. It, it's, it's the crux. It's what keeps everything together in this production. It what It's what makes you laugh and it, it's what makes you cry. And it was beautifully done. And on top of these relationships, you also had these very amazing moments with Death Eaters and with Dementors and getting to see some old characters that we've known done in a new way. And of course, as a Slytherin and a Snape fan, I nearly lost my head when Severus appears. And of course, I knew what was going to happen. I had read the script at least five or six times in my classes. So I knew everything that was going to happen. But to see it happen on stage and, you know, they they did the costumes in a way that they created their own sort of Harry Potter Hogwarts universe, but it still felt like it connected. And his costume was different from like a film version of the costume, but yet kept some of those, those items that we seem to associate with Snape, the cloak, the bit of white underneath the black, the hairstyle. So it, it was I don't know of another word, except it was just very beautifully done. And I found myself laughing out loud and yet crying at the same time. I got chill bumps at multiple moments in the live production. And it was that very satisfying feeling of having read the script and getting to watch it come to life on stage. So, yes, I do believe to fully appreciate Cursed Child it is intended to be seen as a live production, but on the other end of that, if you're never able to see the live production, the script is a beautiful starting place, and also we have the benefit of getting to see a lot of moments online, even though you cannot watch the play online, you can get lots of moments, so Broadway.com is a great place to go if you want to see a little bit of James Snyder as, um, as he takes us backstage during uh, Bits of Cursed Child. And of course, there's Jono Roberts and several of the other actors that have a lot of uh, a wonderful content to look at. And of course, there is the official trailer for Cursed Child, and they did a new trailer for the play last year that you can see online as well. It doesn't cover the entire scope of what it would be like to sit there and experience it live, but it gives you a sense 
of what the play version might entail. And that sort of made me think of the third thing I hear a lot of times is costuming and people remark on the size of Harry Potter's scar on his face, and that's not accurate. I've had a lot of complaints about that. And as, again, a director, it it does make me laugh a little bit because as a director, you have to understand that um, you are doing this show for a theater audience in a large auditorium. You don't have the benefit of having a camera doing a close-up of your face. So if they were to do the scar as it were done in the movie, no one midway back in the auditorium would be able to see it. So of course they have to make things larger and things a little bit different colors and things so that it stands out for a live audience to watch. I also really appreciated that they did put the scar on Harry's hands, I Must Not Tell Lies, which was something that always bothered me in the film version because he had this scar, but then we didn't really see it again after he had written that with Umbridge. But they do have it for the stage play, and you don't necessarily notice that one all the time, but they were very conscious of giving Harry um, things that, that meant something, like the watch and the scar. And for the actor, when he puts on that costume, he's talked about how much that makes him feel like Harry to have those those true mementos, even if all of the audience couldn't see that, he feels it. So that in is my opinion on the production. As I said earlier, we all have issues with things in the plot or certain things with characters that maybe we don't feel would happen. I think the number one issue people take with Cursed Child is the time turner issue. And I do have to agree with it. It is a very contrived plot and creating the time turner issue in this eighth story created a lot of plot holes in the story. What I encourage people to do when you read or watch it is that you sort of have to suspend disbelief. You have to know and accept that realistically, this probably could not have happened, and it's created some sort of sub-issues that make the plot sort of rickety and weak at times and doesn't quite sync up with the books in other ways. But I also remind people that if you look back to the Harry Potter series, the book series, and you really start delving in, there are quite a few plot holes and contradictions and things in that series as well. But fans of the series of of not just Harry Potter, but I think any series that you just really love, you're willing to forgive. You're willing to overlook plot holes and things that realistically wouldn't happen, perhaps for the sake of following a character's journey. Because at the end of the day, what keeps me invested in Harry Potter are the characters, the characters and their journey and their stories and their relationships with other characters in the story. It's not the plot that that keeps me riveted. Um, I mean, how many stories have a dark lord in them and the chosen one hero? It's the hero's journey. It's not new. The plots of Harry Potter are also at times contrived and there are issues that don't sync up. But we keep going back to these characters. We love these characters. And when we have such a love for well-written characters, and I believe 
J.K. Rowling wrote some phenomenal characters. And when we are just so invested in them, we're willing to ignore those weaknesses. I can say that as an, as an author myself, because I certainly don't write the perfect book and not everyone that reads my books are going to like them. And some that do are going to point out issues in them. We're human and we do the best we can when we craft our stories. But if we have characters that you connect with, then you can overlook those things. And that's what I encourage people going into Cursed Child is don't get bogged down by some of these plot holes and, and issues that, that don't quite sync up or, or things that you might have a problem with um, as far as when they go into the alternate timeline or the past. Try not to get too caught up in those because I think if you do, then you will miss the real strength of Cursed Child, which is characters and their relationships. And now I will end with some of my favorite quotes. I cannot give them all, but I encourage you, if you have never read the stage production script, please do so and really appreciate the amazing job that the scriptwriter did taking J.K. Rowling's characters and bringing them to life as themselves and yet with a sense of new characterization and creating these new characters that I believe fit seamlessly into this world. So a few of my favorite that stuck out were Hermione's. Hermione at one point says, my parents were dentists. I was bound to rebel at some point. And lovely Draco, who was fantastic in the production and in the script, he says at one point, Hermione Granger, I'm being bossed around by Hermione Granger and I'm mildly enjoying it. Scorpius, my fellow nerdy, geeky one, uh, who is my favorite, as I've, I think I've said before and will say a million times, my absolute favorite character after Snape himself. And he says at one point, I opened a book, something which has, in all my years on this planet, never been a particularly dangerous activity. <laughs> and then, of course, Professor McGonagall, Snide is always commenting on the fact that everyone has littered her room with flu powder, and she replies with, I dare say it's my fault for owning a chimney. And then during a fight between Draco and Harry, Draco yells at him to keep up, old man, and Harry yells back, we're the same age, Draco, and Draco says, I wear it better. Snape, when he hears that he was killed in the other reality by Voldemort, simply replies, how very irritating. And with that, I will end the podcast on my thoughts and feelings about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. If you have an opinion, a thought, or maybe something that I did not cover, please feel free to leave it in the comments on my YouTube channel or on my website. And if you're listening to this on Podbeam or Apple Podcasts, I would love if you could rate and review. Coming up in future episodes, we will be tackling some writer's things. I know a lot of my listeners are here for some writing tips and advice, and then I do have some interviews coming your way very shortly. So thank you so much for your support of Quills and Cloaks. And with that, I hope you have a magical day. Make sure that you roll up your parchments. Don't leave your quills on my desk. And class is dismissed. Thank you.